Hello, my name is Samuel George London, and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and super cool dude, David Can about what comics he would take into an artificially intelligent robot uprising apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. To support their work, you can become a friend of Comic Scene for just £20 a year. When you become a friend, you get access to premium content on the website, including Comic Scene Weekly, Newsstand Comics, Retro Comics, Comic Shop of the Week, and free comic downloads. To find out more, visit comicscene.org. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Dave Can. How's it going? Good, Samuel. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's been a productive day, actually. There's a lot going on in my day job um, at the moment, but I feel like it's one of those days where I've achieved a lot. So I'm happy. It's always a good time. <laughs> and we get more coming up on Friday, which is even better. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. TGI Fridays, right? <laughs> um, cannot wait. Um, how's your day been? Pretty quiet. We've gotten a lot of rain, but other than that, it's uh, it's a perfect mm. day to stay inside and do some uh, writing and anything else. You know. Nice, man. And speaking of writing, um, what do you do in the world of comics? Yeah, so I run a company uh, named Darkside Media, uh, and we've been around for quite a quite a long time. We used to, um, you know, produce uh, little independent films years ago, uh, and then we started getting into doing comics. And so for the last, I'd say, you know, close to 12 years now, we've been producing, uh, you know, comic books uh, through the company. And we've got, I think this year we're up to our, we'll be releasing our fourth title in October, which is the Brilliant. Memoirs of the Reanimator. Uh, but right now we have uh, three titles and then we'll release a, four, a fifth one next year. So we're just kind of eking our way out. We've got about, um, we're working our 15th book right now, total with all our titles combined. Yeah. So it's... It's been a long process, a, a learning process. I never, uh, I read comic books back in the day, but never worked on comics. And so from mm. going as a screenwriter uh, and producing films to, uh, you know, switching over that mindset into comics has definitely, it, it was a hell of a learning curve. And I feel like it's, over the last few years, we're finally, um, or I should say, I finally have, um, you know, gotten to a point very comfortable with it and able to translate and, and make it work. And the crew that I have has been the majority of the crew I have, I should say, has been with me for close to close to the duration over 10 years. Um, and so, you know, that's they've been super supportive and helpful and also have taught me a lot. So, you know, it, it really helps when I'm sitting down trying to, you know, either translate a script uh, to a comic or, you know, just, you know, working on a comic so I knew, you know, just a new story on its own because it's very different. I mean, you know, trying to write a screenplay, a film screenplay is, is vastly different than trying mm. to write a comic script. Yeah. So, um, but we've been yeah, very much so. Yeah. No, um, what, what, what do you think are the, are the most obvious things, uh, the most obvious differences rather? Um, I'd say, you know, when you're working with film, you have, um, you know, you could just keep the camera rolling and, and get as much good stuff and then kind of edit it down. I feel like with a comic, you really, you have to kind of almost start at the editing process and, and really just yeah. take the high points of, uh, you know, what you would be writing in a script and just kind of boil that down to, 
really exactly what you need to get the point across. And then what's really, what I find really great is that once that process starts, like once I write the script, I send it off to my comic editor. He goes over it. We have a discussion, making sure that like the panels and everything that placement that I want works so far, you know, and, and all that and everything is the proper page count. Then once it gets to the artist, uh, the illustrator, um, they do sketches and inks because we have everything's divided into different departments. So they do sketches and inks. So when they start sending me the sketches, mm-hmm. um, and, and I do send them uh, tons of files and stuff like that for reference because I go through, it takes me quite a long time, but I build up a huge reference for each book. So they get all that in advance. And right. of course they do their own. But um, when I get the stuff, you know, I start seeing the sketches and the inks, it kind of really transforms that story even more. So that by the time I actually get to the lettering process, which is months down the road, I don't even look at the script during the whole process where it's being created because I just look at the pages and kind of absorb it. So then when I sit down and actually like put the the the, you know, the words back in, it's it's almost like rewriting the script from scratch again because a lot of the um, uh, you know imagery and stuff that you either wrote in the description or even um, maybe even something that somebody said in the script, they've captured it in the art. So um, it really kind of allows you to kind of really fine tune that stuff. So it feels like I'm back in the, cause I, I edited a lot of films back in the day as well. So I feel like as an editor for myself, a film editor, it's fun just sitting there and just kind of like watching these panels and seeing them come alive with just a little bit of text that you have. Cause some of our earlier books, we were very text heavy, but I feel now I'm kind of like letting more of that go and just really let it kind of soak in with the art. And then just adding the, the, the text is basically the lettering is just the kind of, cherry on top you know to tell the story nice that's fantastic and so um where can people find uh your work online um so right now we're able to uh we we have uh, lovecraftpi.com uh darksidemedia.us um we also have etsy uh we have a a lovecraft store and a darkside media store on etsy so you can buy our books and all our lovecraft pi merchandise um, and we also do Kickstarter. Uh, we've been doing that now for uh, close to 10 years, and we've, we're finally have ramped it up. So we're doing about five Kickstarters a year um, right okay. now. So we're, we're doing those. And then we also, um, I go on tour uh, here in the States uh, to Comic-Con. So I just booked my 13th show this year. So nice. coming out of the gate strong 13th, this year. Literally this year, or 13th in total. So... Yeah, so it's good. Well, fun. literally, you're going to thirty. You, you're literally going to thirteen shows this year. Yes. Yep. Yep. Just be- wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Amazing. It's a lot. But I've it's got good time fun. for about two or three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried to squeeze them in. You know, it's it's one of those things where yeah, it's, right. It's amazing. Uh, you know, but um, and I don't normally do the summers due to my my work. Uh, so you know, but I was able to yeah, at least pull off yeah. at least three this summer. So which is that'll be exciting because I've never oh, done those. Fantastic. So, but. Yeah. You know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's it's still slow um, after everything that has been you know that has happened the yeah. last couple of years. But uh, the sure. last one I was at a couple of weeks ago, everybody's just super happy to be back out and and um, yeah. you know the stuff that we're that we're working on is getting a lot of eyeballs on it. So you know, it's one thing. Fantastic. You know, when you're when you're online, you're just kind of you know throwing it out there in the in the matrix, and you don't really know how it's going to land. Even on Kickstarter, you really have no idea until the day you know, you hit that button and launch and see what happens. But when you're, you know, at least when you're with people at cons, you, you kind of get a just a sense of like, uh, you know, how it's all kind of coming together. Yeah. So. Totally. 
No, that's fantastic. And of course, all those links are in the show notes, folks. So make sure you click through and check out Dave's work. Um, I'm a particular fan of uh, Lovecraft PI and when you did the crossover with Mike Shea. Yes. As well. Um, that was fantastic. Thanks. That was good fun. Yeah, Mike and I, uh, we had a great time doing that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was new for us. And, and the funny thing is, is that we were going to put out our, our volume three of Lovecraft PI like two years ago because it was mm. the second book came out in 2019. Then once we did the crossover, and I was like, well, I'll keep it all in canon. I was like, oh, no, now what am I going to do? Because now my character is like, he's sent off into all these different things. So everything's now coming full circle. And it's it's actually really cool. It's it's I'm taking the character to places uh, I never thought I would. Um, and, um, you know, th- that's what's kind of cool about it now. Is It's like it's opened up this whole new world I never even expected. So, yeah, oh, it's amazing where <laughs> where this uh, this gig takes you. Isn't it? Yeah, no, totally. Um, oh, and I was going to say real quick too on the film stuff when you're saying about the um, film to mm. comic. You know, you know when you get a line because um, I'm I'm uh, I'm reading over a script right now that we may take in to uh, start producing. It's not one of ours, which is kind of interesting. Mm. Um, cool. So, uh, so the way this person writes the scripts is it's very spot on, very slick, it's very um, imaginative, and you know, I don't know I'm saying before you could just let the camera roll and just you get the whole sequence. Whereas in a comic, you really have to kind of take that scene and go, okay, is this going to be a, a panel? Is it going to be mm-hmm. a splash? Is it going to be four pages? Mm-hmm. You know, and that I think is, you know, the comparison between the two is very tough and, and very key to kind of really know what to pick and choose. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, because with film, you definitely get a lot more um, leeway, I guess, you know, to tell that story. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, no, it's quite different with with the whole possibility of improv mm-hmm. um, in front of the camera. Like, you know, people can, you know, try out different lines very quickly. And in the editing room, you can kind of sort that out. But with comics, that's not so possible. I mean, of course, you can change things mm-hmm. like during the production process, but... It's it's a completely different dynamic, isn't it? It is. I think you can still go in there and tweak lines here and there. I know when we did Zadar, mm-hmm. the first issue of that, when we wrote in, I don't know if you had a chance to read that one yet, but um, we wrote in where the main character is Zadar because it's a Tarzan, uh, kind of an ode to the Tarzan genre. Uh, so our character is Zadar mm-hmm. the Savage. He has a uh, ape, a Bobo, uh, uh, ape friend that's a Bonobo, I'm sorry, ape friend that's uh, named Cheetah. We're using the Cheetah from the show and, um, when I first read the script, you know, cause we wrote the script out and I wrote it, you know, uh, with my partner, Ryan Matta, um, as we wrote it and it's like that scene is pretty, you know, heart wrenching for what happens to the character, you know, for his, his, his ape friend. Mm. And so then after reading it and then sending it to the illustrator, it still had that impact. It had that impact through the sketch. It had that impact through the inks. It had that impact through the colors. And then when we finally lettered. It was like, wow, it's still. And so when we've sent this, the book out, that and then the, the the whole sequence, the stuff that kind of breaks down towards the end, people have come back to us going, man, you really just you really pulled at our heartstrings on this one, you know, and um, we weren't expecting this. <laughs> and so to me, that's just like making like that scene in a movie where you're just sitting there in the audience, man, and you're just watching the audience react to, you know, uh, you know, what you've done. And, 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 you know, they're kind of taking that taking that all in emotionally. It's it's kind of nice to be able to convey that in a comic book because it's. I don't think it's the easiest thing to do in the world, but um, when you get feedback like that, it's, it really makes you happy, you know? 
Hundred percent. Yeah, no, it makes it all worth it, doesn't it? Oh, totally. Because um, you, you, you absolutely feel like you've achieved something um, in that moment. It's really nice. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Excellent. Now, um, all of that aside, unfortunately, I've got some bad news for you, and that is that whilst we've been speaking, yes, it appears as though there's been an artificially intelligent robot uprising. Yes. And so, my first question for you is, what is your action plan for survival? My action plan for survival? Okay, so, I live I live by the ocean. And, uh, you know, I always find that the ocean is always a good place to take refuge. And I don't mean, you know, underneath the ocean, but I always, I'm a big fan of lighthouses. And this has always been my go-to. Now, of course, this is going out to whoever. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe if this all goes down, it, we'll all be there at once. But I always like the lighthouses that are in the middle of the ocean, middle of nowhere. All you need to do is take a little boat out there. It's highly corrosive. You know, you get that salt water surrounding yeah. you. So you've got, you know, with the robots and all that stuff. And once they're able to can endure that, you've got that mm-hmm. as protection. And then if you if you play your cards right, you know, you have uh, a lot of these things are automated now. Um, and a lot of them are solar now. So you could pull off of that. Um, and then if you have a little putt-putt uh, boat or something to that degree, and if you're not too far from land, you should be able to at least do runs that way. So I think that would, I think that would be my place to hold up uh, during a nice. <laughs> robot uprising. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and well, I tell you what. Before we, before we get into the nitty gritty, um, have you have you ever heard of what's called a Palmerston Fort? Palmerston Fort? No, no, I haven't. Google it, and you'll see what I mean. It's kind of it's kind of like that. It's like a fort in the middle, just just off of the coast in the middle of the sea. Mm. Um, it's it's not obviously as tall as a um, as a lighthouse, right. but it's kind of like this really robust place. So they, 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 there's like loads of those on the south coast of England. So oh, if you're know. in England, <laughs> whenever this happens, right. that's where you want to head, particularly around Portsmouth. Gotcha. Okay, and and, and all of that. So. Yeah, Palmerston Fort is 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 what you want to head for. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, that's, that, 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 I only became aware of those, by the way, through somebody using that as part of their plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the other thing, yeah. the other thing too, is that uh, oil rigs, and you guys are loaded with those, as you know, up there in the yeah, north. Right. <laughs> so that would be helpful. Yeah, 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 yeah totally in the North Sea there. A hundred percent, yeah, totally. Um, but uh, back to your lighthouse. Sure. Um, is is anybody going to be joining you? Um, well, I have a, I have a daughter, so she'll, you know, she would be there, but other than that, I try to keep, she makes it. yeah, she makes it. Yeah. Other than that, uh, you know, we'll see, but, um, it's, you know how things go when you, when you watch those movies and you get everybody that you don't know in a room and, and, and there is some sort of an apocalypse happening. Yeah. There's somebody that always just yeah. wigs out and causes, you know, either the, the problem to get inside or they get infected, you know, something always happens. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the movie, the thing I've seen, I usually watch that every year. And that always kind of like, you know, shows you like, you know, maybe I'll stay up in the shack. <laughs> Let them handle it all down there. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. So let's just say it's just you you, you and your daughter yeah. have made it safe and sound at the lighthouse. At the moment, yeah. Um, it's it, Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a stormy night. So you know that you're kind of safe and sound in the in the lighthouse um sure. because the robots aren't going to be looking for you because it's a stormy night um and you've got you've got a nice roaring fire going maybe you've got some hot chocolates and 
things like this and maybe some schmores and, and things like that. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, you, you come on to the, um, subject of comics and right. your daughter asks you, what's the first comic you remember enjoying? Yeah. So when, when you gave me this list, it's kind of funny because my, my knowledge of comics is, um, it has it has wide gaps in it, you know. So I had like read a lot when I was a child, up until you know twenty something years old, and then you know went through college, read a bunch, and then had stopped reading comics for a long time. So, and I was I didn't realize that you had asked me for this. You know, it was going to be enjoined with this, which is great. So this is now all it takes a whole other world for me to now apply that to what we're about to discuss <laughs> for my choices. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I say, I, well, the first comic I'd say I, I actually still have, it's, it's tattered to all hell, but it's, it's a great read, but uh, Spider-Man 151, um, I don't have the ones before that. And I have, except for really earlier on. And then I have a couple after that, um, like further down the line, but this one I, I liked as, and I reread it again recently. And it's, a, it's a good fun because it's, uh, it's 19, I think the book came out in 1975 and it's, uh, Parker and, and, and his whole crew at, in college, you know, he's dating MJ at the time flashes there. The, the, uh, uh, Osborne's there. So you got all the characters, they've all had their issues but to me, one of the funniest things, which I, I completely had forgotten about until I reread it again, was for whatever reason, J. Jonah Jameson's having a party at his house and he invites all of Peter and all his friends. Now, he can't stand any of these guys. So the entire mm. book is just this complete comedy of errors with J. Jonah Jameson and all Parker's <laughs> friends. And they're all causing problems. And he's just having, he's just like losing his mind. In the meantime, like the city's, you know, starting to, uh, uh, lose power and it's uh, it's the second appearance I think of the shocker which uh, Spider-Man has to go and, and deal with in the sewers but it was just the, the cover of that book is great because it's just Spider-Man and it's just the, the sewers like kind of falling in around him and it just as a kid it kind of it was a very impactful scene and I and he was still is my favorite you know superhero character so um, and and what's really great about the dialogue in those books too at least in those early ones is that they're super snappy everybody's on top of it and um then nobody's talking down to you. It's just, it's for, it's a very nice. smart book for a comic book, you know, for a kid's, you know, superhero book. I mean, it's just the way everybody's kind of off each other. And it just, I don't know. I had a lot of fun reading. It was, it was a good time. Awesome. And how old are you? Sorry. Me? I'm i uh, I'll be 51 this year. Oh, I mean, uh, how old were you at the time? Oh, at the time. Uh, yeah. God. Six, <laughs> seven. Nice. Yeah, and and so where did you where did you acquire acquire your comics when you were that age? Yeah, so a lot of them we had. Um, we never had a comic book store because I live on I live in an island, so we never had a comic book store until probably the eighties, which I think only lasted for about a year. Um, right, and um, so it was always uh, down at the five and dime, and uh, it'd be a turnstile. So uh, usually the turnstile, you know, comics turnstile would be there, and you just go in with your buddies and you know, grab whatever, uh, chewy or yeah, what you can <laughs> candies or whatever you could get. And yeah, exactly. Then just go ahead and grab, uh, you know, the book of the month or book of the week, you know? So it was one of those things and whatever, you know, couple of coins that you had. Uh, cause back then I think they were, I think they got up to like 75 cents at one point in the eighties, but I think before that they were still pretty like 60 cents. I think they were around that point. So not so much anymore, but <laughs> if I may. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh well. But 
That's uh, that's the way the way the cookie crumbles, right? But uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah you're talking forty something years ago, uh, now, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, heading heading back to the lighthouse, uh, the next question yes. that your daughter asks you is, "What's the funniest oh, comic that you've read?" Oh dear lord. Okay, so uh, the you know I've got I got some dark humor. I, I'm a big fan of uh, you know just uh, I don't know. I just I was a big Monty Python fan, Benny Hill. You know all these guys. You know just a huge just love comedy. Uh, but I have I'm, my comedy's always been kind of a bit slanted. So. Um, for her, I would say that mm-hmm. before there was ever the movie, they, they there was a comic out that the mask, which, um, right. was, it was based on this character, Stanley Ipkiss and, and his whole thing of coming across this kind of ancient mask and, and turning into this kind of zany cartoon character. And I found that book when I was probably my first year of college and I just was floored. I was like, man, this thing's hilarious. I love this book. It's like all the, cause I, I was a big, uh, Tex Avery fan too. I love Bugs Bunny and all that stuff. So to see this kind of character go into that whole, uh, you know, you know, motif or whatever from, you know, his regular life, it's just like a, every kid's dream, you know, when you're younger to be able to do crazy stuff like that. So I thought that was a lot of fun. And ironically enough, uh, a few years later, I ended up moving out to Los Angeles and, um, I, when I began working in films and that was, I ended up working on the mask, uh, coming in doing, we did a bunch of second, yeah, doing a bunch of second unit stuff. And, uh, so that was, that was actually a lot of good fun, you know, um, you know, meeting Jim Carrey and and Cameron and all those guys. So, um, and we did a bunch of the gags and all that stuff too. So that was kind of cool. So I was able to participate making the gags that made it zany, you know, that goes back to the comic book. So that, that Mm. to me was a lot of fun and, and, you know, life imitating art, so to speak. Um, then I'd say like I, the only other ones I, for me too, was like mad magazine, man, growing up. Um, I never got it at home, uh, for whatever reason, they always had it at the library. So when I'd spend time at the, I spent a lot of time at the library growing up. So when I was there, they always have it on the rack. And I mean, it was well-worn cause every kid in there, you know, would be burning through that, <laughs> that magazine. Cause it was, they're hysterical. But to me though, the, the, one of the best parts too, was the end the lat the um the last cover page because then you could fold it in three ways and it would come up with some crazy art piece you know what i mean that you'd have to put together so um yeah you know so that was that was another good one too but um that's a lot of fun yeah so those are a couple of them nice now changing gears yes um quite a bit what's the saddest comic that you've read uh, well, the saddest comic I'd say for me, because um, again, it has a lot of um, personal um, attachments to it as well as The Crow, um, James O'Bear's uh, book that came out in the late 80s. And mm-hmm. um, I never was there. I never had read it on its first run. I ended up, um, actually, I never even knew about the book at all until I was working on a film in, in Pittsburgh at the time in 92. Uh, and, um, friends of ours were on the crow and they were shooting the movie and we're like, huh, what's this? This was 93, I guess. And, um, so, so friends of ours were working on that and they were telling us about it. So that's when all the kind of the crow resurgence kind of came up. So I was like, huh, that's cool. So I bought the trade and I read the trade. I was like, wow, this is crazy. You know, it's, it's such a hard, you know, a hard story. And, um, you know, it's based on, you know, an actual event that happened to the author, James O'Bear and the artist, you know, he's also the artist. Um, and then when um, 
uh, during the movie, we were shooting a movie at the same time that they were, uh, we were in Pittsburgh, obviously they were in, um, I think North Carolina. And when all this tragedy happened with Brandon Lee, uh, we had friends on the inside that were telling us what happened and so on and so forth. And then nice. over the years, uh, you know, people that I knew were represented of the family and all that stuff in court. So we, we kind of knew what had happened. We did the ins and outs of that tragedy and how it ended up. And so, and when I found out, which I, I didn't know this, I didn't know this prior to him, uh, to his tragedy, but w- after the fact, my prop master, I remember him coming to me on the picture that we were on at the time. And, uh, he goes, you know, we were, we were supposed to work with him on the next project. And I was like, you gotta get out of here. Really? Mm-hmm. And the next, and, and after the, after the project I had finished there, um, that's when we had done the mask a couple of, about a year or so later. And then after that, we did Mortal Kombat. And Mortal Kombat was the movie we were supposed to be working with him on. Um, really? Yeah, because he was. I guess he was one of the original uh, picks for Johnny Cage. So um, that just was like completely devastating. It was like, oh man, you know. So um, anyway, so the book, so the book had a lot of a lot. And then what was crazy is that I, so I read the book, and all this stuff kind of happened. And then James O'Bear was um, doing a signing out um, in the Valley somewhere out in L.A. I remember going out there and this is probably, I think the movie had just come out more. Yeah. I think the movie had just come out. So he, he was on kind of tour with the book and I remember just going in there and uh, I mean, I've never seen a guy more just bummed out, you know, I mean, super nice guy, but yeah. and he was just, I, I think it was just so much emotion that he had to contend with that book, you know, in the movie and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It was just, but uh, you know, he was able to sign the, you know, sign my trade, but yeah, that's, I don't know. I, it, that's such a great story and a uh, tragic story all around. But um, yeah, I'd say mm. for me anyways, that's probably <laughs> tops. tops yeah, that's up there. Yeah, I'd <laughs> say so. Definitely. 100%. Uh, well, uh, changing gears sure. once again, uh, what's the scariest comic that you've read? Now, this one I would not let my daughter read, uh, probably, uh, more than likely <laughs> because of the content. Uh, uh, Tim Vigil's uh, Faust. Which that came out, uh, I think eighty seven, eighty eight. Again, it was right when I was uh, in college, and I remember um, seeing the artwork on the on the issue one, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Because I mean, that was like, I mean, because I was I grew up in Marvel. I mean, I was a big Marvel kid. Had you know, bought all the books. Had you know, five hundred comic collection, you know, uh, going, you know, graduating high school. And, and that's kind of like, I didn't really vary from much of that. So I didn't do a lot of independent comics until I started kind of going into college and seeing what was out there. Um, a lot of it was just because it wasn't available to me where I had lived. So, um, but I remember seeing that on the stand and I was like, I mean, it was in there amongst the playboys and penthouse and all that. And I was like, huh, this is interesting, (laughs) you know? So I I grabbed it and I was like, started reading. I'm like, this, this book is absolutely insane. It's black and white. Uh, just like the crow is and uh, Tim Vigil does all this, you know, he works with his brother and who did the story with him and, uh, uh, and also some of the artwork and some of the epilogues, but he had, Tim had done all the artwork and for it. And it's, uh, you know, this basically a satanic character who comes to the, you know, modern New York and uh, he's got these minions that are running around. So there's a lot of sex and, <laughs> you know, satanic rituals and killing idea. violence. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> anything you that's depravatory, it's there. I mean, you've got orgies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, it's everything, mm-hmm. you know, and as a, uh, uh, a kid in college, you couldn't ask for something that was like, Holy mackerel. This, this just blew my mind, you know? So, yeah. um, 
Yeah. And I, I'd say it's probably hard. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. It's a, it's a pretty vicious series and, uh, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I have good fun with it. So I'd say that's probably for me, the most horrifying. Yeah. Totally. Just looking at some of the, some of the pages, just on a quick Google search. It's, I mean, the art is, you know, incredibly detailed. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. No, Tim is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. And Claire, uh, it's funny because the Claire character who's in it, the female, she, um, mm. she's in through the series and there's a issue two cover, which is just stellar. It's her on one side and then it's uh, black on the left. I think it is. And then you open it up and it's a full body of her and she's nude and she's covered in blood and a knife and all that. And I remember mm. seeing that. And then at the time I was going to school in Pittsburgh there in college and, and, uh, there's this place we found, it was called Ides, and it was this amazing store that comic books, memorabilia, posters, but it was like, it, it was almost like somebody's house that's just like, it was a hoarder, because nothing was like really in any mm-hmm. order, and I remember going in there, and they had this, they have a, a Playboy issue um, from around 1988, and the cover is that, as like that woman, I was like, oh my god, no way, that's her. And so I was like thumbing through it. I was like, that's got to be Claire. He must have used that to be the reference for Claire. Yeah. So jump ahead, whatever, 30 years later, still have it. Still have the, I have, still have all those books and, you know, and that playboy. And uh, I was like, if I ever meet Tim Vigil, I'm taking this book with me and I will ask him. Yeah. So I went to the Nepconomicon, uh, Comic-Con in, um, uh, Providence, Rhode Island. This was a few years ago. I vended there and he was, you know, he was there and I was like, sweet. So I went up to him and I said, Tim, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, but I've been hauling this thing around <laughs> for 35 years and I need to know, is this the woman that you designed with Claire? He's like, oh my God. He goes, you know what? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not I was sure. like, well, it's just like her, you know? So it was just, so he was just, he had an absolute, you know, just chuckle over it. Cause he's like, Oh my God, probably, you know, he doesn't remember, but you know, it, but I just yeah. was like the, the fact that I even still had that. He was just like blown away. He's like, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, you're a fan. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, just a bit committed. That's brilliant. Though. That is commitment. Oh yeah. Um, so. And uh, just, just waiting for the right moment. Oh yeah. And no, you had to know the answer, great. you know, cause it's just, it was too uncanny. I mean, it's, I mean, she yeah. looks so much like it and it's, and it's amazing. So anyway, it's kind of funny. Brilliant. That that is funny. That's incredible. Fantastic. Um, well, uh, moving on to my favorite question, and that is what's your favorite cover? <sighs> well, this was brutal, man. I mean, you know, this was a brutal one because there's a lot of there's a lot of great covers out there. Um for me, I've been Dan Burton did a excuse me, did a series um back in the early to mid nineties called The Nocturnals. Mm-hmm. which he does all the artwork and the story for. And um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting cause it's very Lovecraftian. and there's a lot of um, there's a mad doctor, not mad doctor. I'm sorry. There's a doctor in it. There's um, it takes place. It's noir. There's this uh, place in Rac- called raccoon city that they um, reside in. And so you've got all these kind of uncanny looking characters um, and you've got him, the doctor who's the main character and then his daughter, who's uh, uh, nicknamed Halloween girl. And so, uh, so she's got magic, supernatural powers as well. So it's a very, very gothic, very noir um, uh, series. 
and uh, all of crafting kind of base too, which is, I mean, not pulling from stories, but you could definitely see the tones in it. But he paints everything. Everything he does, it, whether it's the cover, the inside, it's all paint. Um, and the cover for issue one for me is just amazing because it just right there gives you exactly what you're going to get, you know, um, you know, because it has all the characters listed. And one of the best characters in it is named Gunwitch, who's this kind of just you know, gun toting zombie character that doesn't say a word and just handles business. And uh, he's just one of my favorite characters. So for him to be, you know, so the whole, I don't know, for me, that's like one of my favorite covers that I, I, I that kind of leapt to mind when I was reading the question that just really nails it, you know? That's awesome, man. Yeah. Now you're just looking at it now. It's um, yeah. Just wonderful art and kind of obviously. Yeah. Very, um, very Halloween esque, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. Thing. That's fantastic. Oh, that's brilliant. You know, I was just trying to find the number one. Um, and so is it? That's the one with him holding his daughter, I guess. Well, yeah, she's like in front. She's got the bucket that has the, the Halloween uh, trick or treat bucket, and then you've got Starfish okay. on one side. I can't remember who's on the other side, but yeah, yeah you got all these characters, and it's you know. I mean, you know, it's, you've got noir, you've got Lovecraftian type of stuff, you've got a, a gun-toting zombie, you've got a doctor, you've got, I mean, you get all sorts of cool stuff. You get this whole underground right. cult that's coming after him. I mean, great series, cool. really good series. Super cool. Yeah, no, I'll have to uh, add that to the reading list. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and by uh, the no, way, I'm, uh, I'm just going to say real quick that, uh, yeah, if Dan Brereton, uh does a lot of stuff on Kickstarter and uh, I, I support everything he does. I have my whole shelf mm. dedicated to his works, but um, yeah, if you want to get his, his latest stuff, you, he, he does stuff in comic shops as well, but um, he always puts stuff out on Kickstarter. So it's, that's a good one to follow on there as well. Nice. Awesome. Will do. Will do. And uh, now moving on to another of my favorite questions. Yes. And that is what's the most meaningful comic to you? Man, meaningful. That was another hard one. Um, I'd say probably because, again, uh, you know, because my pockets of um, comic reading is is scattered about. I, I put on here the the Dark Horse. It's the Dark Horse nineteen ninety limited edition uh, Alien series that was also done in black and white. I think it came out like nineteen ninety to ninety two or something like that. Um, and for me, it was meaningful because of the fact that I was a huge Alien and Aliens fan. I mean, I've got books clippings I, i'm an artist i used to draw vasquez and paxton and all those i mean i was like obsessed with aliens growing up as a kid i mean i was 15 i think at the time something like that when it came out so i mean that was mm-hmm. like so when that so when when uh the alien series came out that was right before alien 3 and nobody you know this is before the internet so you didn't really know it was going to be an alien 3 so you're reading this comic and you're like man this is like the best thing. Like after, after aliens, this would be the perfect story to have happen, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cause all the characters, I mean, it was just, it was so superbly written. The, the, the detail, the artwork, I mean, it just really brings you in there and it makes total sense. And then I remember, uh, you know, a year or two later after the book came out then I went to go see alien three and I was I couldn't be more bummed out. I was like, Oh, you guys, you had it. <laughs> you know, it was there. You know, so it was, I don't know. It was just, it was one of those letdowns. It was just like, so to me, that book is like, I don't care how many alien movies they make. They'll never match to me that one section of limited uh, story. Cause that, that, that story is so good. And, and what happens Ripley, Newt, um, 
uh, Bill, uh, uh, Michael Bean's character there, and Lance Hendricks. I mean, all those characters that are in there and what happens to them. They don't get they don't get some cheesy send off like happened in Alien Three. You know, there's no reimagined. It just literally picks up like what happens after Aliens, and it's wicked dope. That's awesome, man. Love it. Um, and uh, yeah, no, um, I, that's another one I'm going to have to add to my reading list. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite all right. It's quite all right. I love it. Uh, it's just it's fantastic. I can f- I find a lot of these um, uh, newly added reads from from my interviews from eBay. Um, and mm. uh, yeah, no, you can you can you can get them like sometimes you can get them like for really good prices. Which is fantastic. Yeah, well, it's um, nice too because I think a lot of these now they've been putting them out on trades, which is good, you know. So mm-hmm. you you know uh, necessarily have to get all the separate issues. Um, no. But I also, you know, what I love about the, the covers and those things are awesome too because the cover the covers are all color uh, with fine uh, pen ink, and then the insides are just wicked detailed and uh, really kind of brings you right into it. Nice man. No, I'll have to check it out. Um, now moving on to the next question, what's the most underrated comic? Well, I would, you know, I was going to say, I was going to go back to, uh, I think the Nocturnals and Faust are two very underrated comics, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know many people. I know a couple more people that read Nocturnals than Faust, but, um, not really. I mean, I feel those two, those two books particularly don't really have, um, uh, I mean, they have a following, a cult following, but they're not really well, um, well known. Uh, but also there's another one too in there, um, which I dug called John, uh, Johnny, the homicidal maniac, which is this kind of weird, dark comedy. And, uh, that came out in the mid nineties. And that's a, at least the first, the, the first several issues of that, that series are really good. Um, I haven't, I, I stopped reading it probably after, cause the problem was what was happening is they were putting them out pretty steadily. And then, um, after a while they would just be farther and farther <laughs> away. Yeah. It's like, I, I didn't pick up anymore, but I, the first, at least half a dozen or so, I, I would, I thought that was a really good, um, uh, that's a fun one to, uh, that, that I think was definitely, um, underrated as well. But I think since it's, it's, it's gotten again, much more of a cult status to it. Cause it looks like it's been, um, has had some more, uh, resurgences as well yeah no it's it's appeared a couple of times on on the podcast so it's definitely um oh it has interesting yeah yeah um because i I haven't known anybody other than myself and now you telling me i I don't know anybody that reads that comic yeah Yeah, no yeah it's crazy (laughs) um yeah no i've had a couple of people mention it um but of course it's kind of you know um slight selection bias because you're talking to creators who you know uh <laughs> really looking for for uh obscure comics and oh yeah like that. and that's that's a whacked out comic i mean you know it's i mean yeah. it goes for the title you know <laughs> yeah yeah totally 100 uh now uh, coming on to our penultimate question and mm-hmm. that is what comic would you recommend to a friend who's never read comics i you know what i i couldn't name a, p- a particular a single comic, but I, I feel that like, um, like if you go for like, if you go with Spider-Man, like in the seventies, early eighties, I think you're good. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of those, there's a lot of good, um, 
there's a lot of good stories with the earlier Spider-Man that kind of get you in there. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, Parker's such a, a fun character to kind of follow along the stuff that the, 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 um, the dialogue's are a lot of fun. The characters are, you know, are colorful and great. The artwork varies wildly with the different artists that have come in. So I, I couldn't name one particularly for that, but um, I would say, you know, I guess if I had to come up with one, I don't know. I'll have to think about that <laughs> particular one. <laughs> but um it could just be like yeah just that run you know just from yeah 1970s spider-man onwards really yeah i mean it, it, just any of those i felt were a good That's fun fine like, it's a good start <laughs> yeah right <laughs> totally man um fantastic um and then uh if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse yourself mm-hmm. which would it be i think i'm gonna have to go with faust I mean, it's got everything, you know, you've got a little bit of, you know, naughty, nice and, and uh, everything that you probably are not going to have when you're in an apocalypse. So <laughs> yeah. you can at least live vicariously through the comic, I guess. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So nice, man. Fantastic. And then along, along with that, uh, what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take with you as well? Well, I think um, a couple of things. Well, not, not a couple of things, but I'd say one of the fir- one of the things I think I would use is a um, uh, it's a fifty three million volt stun gun because I think that would nice. be enough to short circuit uh, you know any type of microchip if you had to you know go into town and deal with any of the uh, robotic uprising. Um, nice. and then you've also can use water as the conductor and everything like that. But th- those, you know, cause I think the micro, the microchips can only be, it can be damaged at like a 10 volt, but you know, who knows what, you know, you have to get through to even get to that aspect of these, exactly. these, these robots. So I think Better to be safe than sorry, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> go 53 million. Yeah. 53 million. Exactly. And there is one out there. So that's, what's kind of nice. I mean, they are available, wow, that's wild. you know, um, and then I think the other thing would, is to make sure you have a fire hose that uh, has a pump coming from the seawater. So in case you have to battle any of these mm. things off, you can do it with that, you know, with that since, uh, you know, who knows if any type of gun or, you know, anything to that degree would actually be able to stop them. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a, that's a good shout. Um, well, happy to provide you with that dave um and uh, yeah thank you so much for sharing your po- your comics for the apocalypse <laughs> thank it's you it's been a real pleasure thank you mate i appreciate it thank you for having me on hey no worries and uh for the listeners one more time where can they find you online yeah so we have actually a kickstarter that'll be starting up april 5th it's um we have a series berserkers um limited series one through eight we're on issue five right now and things are really starting to go berserk on the island uh it's about a virus that breaks out in 1950s uh and it's a bat virus which is kind of strange uh we wrote the comic (laughs) yeah and obviously you wrote it like yeah we wrote it back in the late 90s and it's it's kind of creepy that it all came back up to us now so i mean we've been working on this series for about 10 years so uh we finally are releasing it and it's uh uh each book we put out everybody seems to really dig it more and more so we're excited about that you can also get a lot of our lovecraft stuff as our add-ons on that kickstarter um, otherwise, you can find us on lovecraftpi.com, darksidemedia.us, and we do have a couple of Etsy stores under Lovecraft PI and Darkside Media. As well. Perfect. And again, all those links are in the show notes. Um, and of course, you've got a multitude of uh, shows that you'll be going to this year. What's, what's the next one? Uh, we have one, what is it, April 2nd. Um, it's called, what is it, the 
Retro Expo. That's a good show we're going to be doing. And then actually I've got one in Boston uh, April 9th, and Simon Bisley is actually going to be there, uh, the Wicked Comic Con. And Simon uh, did our cover for issue one uh, of Zadar, and he's working on issue two for us right now, the cover of that, and we'll be doing issue three cover for us. So he's going to be there. We're going to be there. We're all selling books. It's going to be a good time. It'll be good to see him too, because I haven't seen him in a while, and he's he's a stitch to hang out with, i tell you that much. I bet, I bet. That's awesome, man. Super cool. Uh, well, again, Dave, can, uh, can uh, thank you so much for your, for your time and coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Samuel. Have a good one. Cheers. You too. Take it easy. Thanks again to Dave for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Dave's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website, sorry about that, it's late at night, um, at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.